Hey, today's episode of The Rewatchables is brought to you by Vudu. It's a streaming service you can watch on all your favorite devices. Stream over 6,000 titles for free or choose from over 150,000 titles to rent or buy in up to 4K quality from the latest Hollywood blockbusters to independent cinema. Head over to voodoo.com slash rewatchables. That is V-U-D-U dot com slash rewatchables. Sign up. Start watching today. Wyatt Earp just wants to retire with his brothers in Tombstone. But Curly Bill and the bad guys have other ideas. Tombstone coming up right now. They say every town has a story. Tombstone as a legend. Who is he? That's wider. Better name for himself as a peace officer. I heard of you. I'm retired. You must be Doc Holliday. You retired too? Not me. I'm in my prime. Hollywood Pictures presents. The only real law around here is the Cowboys. They shot your brother. Now the time has come for justice. Guess maybe you better swear me in. And he has to live up to his reputation. You got a fight coming. I'll be there! One last time. Justice is coming to Tombstone. All right, this is... Easily the weirdest rewatchable we've done. Tombstone, it's an incredibly flawed movie. It's wonderful. There's really weird, crazy stories about the making of it, um, why it was made in the first place. It's kind of dated. It's way too long. Mm -hmm. It's still goddamn lovable. Chris Ryan, Sean Fennessy. You you peed on this a little when you did your top 10 Westerns or whatever that podcast was, that unsanctioned rewatchable. Didn't we make it number two? Big, yeah. But I don't know. Bill got jealous. About, this no, this inspired this him to do this. We didn't pee Bullshit. on anything. I was like, it's this Bullshit. movie is the rounders of Westerns. It's eminently rewatchable. Would have been nice for you to say that stuff on this podcast. It came out 25 <laughs> years ago today. We're running this on Christmas week. 25 years ago, 1993, it came out. Really, really kind of one of the... Five craziest behind-the-scenes stories of Phenomenal a popular movie that year. Movie, yeah. Sean, you want to do the breakdown? Sure. Uh, so there's a guy named Kevin Jar. He was a screenwriter, and he was a very successful screenwriter in the 80s. And he was hired to make this his directorial debut, Tombstone, a re, sort of a retelling of the very famous Earp Brothers and the shootout at the OK Corral. It's a passion project for him. And turns out he probably wasn't very good at filmmaking because after about a week, he was fired when it became clear he didn't know what he was doing. He fell behind schedule. He was losing the studio a lot of money. What they did is they brought in a replacement by the name of George Cosmatos. George, of course, is best known for some of his work on the Rambo movies. Oh, uh, and Cobra. And Cobra. Don't sleep on Cobra. There's a giant Cobra standee here in Bill Simmons' office yeah, while we're recording this right podcast. Now. Yeah, Sly is looking at us while we record every one of these shows. And Cosmatos is known for this really like clenched fist, masculine, aggressive kind of dude movie. He's good. He's a good action movie director. Come to find out after this movie is released and is like kind of a modest hit that maybe George Cosmatos didn't do too much of the directing. In fact, Kurt Russell, who is sort of the godfather of this movie from the very beginning, more or less claimed credit for directing the entire film. And well, he kind of steered clear of the credit for a long time. And, and then it was for, I kept think, coming up. Both Cosmatos and Jari to pass away. Before yeah. he was really like, 
this is how it went. The night before we would shoot, I would give George a, a shot list. And on set, I would give him like little hand gestures being like, all right, let's do this. Let's do that. That's what you guys are going to do when I die. You're going to claim credit for the rewatch. Yeah, when you die. That's what we're waiting to do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, there's the other part of this is that Kevin Costner. This is, this is really interesting. So he was originally involved in Tombstone. Disagreed with Kevin Jari over the focus of the film. He believed the emphasis should have been on Wyatt Earp rather than the many characters in the script. Bowed out, left the project, teamed up with Lawrence Kasdan, who is then still pretty red hot. Mm -hmm. And they do their own competing thing. And now this Jari comes in and he's a disaster. And so not only do they not have Kevin Costner in the movie, but then the guy who they had kind of bankrolled, um, they have to get rid of. And yet somehow this still ends up being the better movie. So Chris and I have talked about this quite a few times. He's a much bigger fan, I think, of the Kasdan Wyatt movie than I, I am. I do like it a lot. I think that this is way more entertaining. But I do have, a, I, I think that the Kasdan Wyatt Earp is one of those really early ones where even Costner himself has talked about this, where I think he was like, it should have been six hours and it probably should have been a miniseries, but there's no way I would have gotten the money to make it the way I wanted to make it for TV, especially yeah. at that time. So in some ways it was like 20 years too early. I wonder if this does become a TV series in the next few years. Seems like that would be Has the natural progression. I don't this. know that there's been a, a okay corral one, but yeah, this the Wyatt Earp story could definitely just be a TV series. So I would say once all this stuff shook out and the director got fired and the Costner thing was coming, this was probably like a plus five hundred underdog mm -hmm. to be a better movie than the Kevin Costner Wyatt Earp, but it. The Costner thing came out like six, seven months later. And we've seen this happen over and over again. It's almost like whichever one comes out first has such an advantage. Yeah, Nobody just Olympus wants to go see it again. White House down thing, you know? Yeah, I would argue that um, Armageddon came out on top of its showdown. Mm -hmm. You know, Did it, that come out after or before? It came out after, yeah. But like, you know, it's- Armageddon against who? Well, Deep Impact, Deep right? Impact, yeah. yeah. Armageddon had so many more stars though. Yeah, it was, I mean, that it's was just like, a more fun movie. Deep Impact is very depressing. I don't, if, I don't know if maybe that's a rewatchables <laughs> down the road, but Deep Impact does not end happily. Um, I hated that movie. And Dante's Peak and Volcano, and there were so many examples of these. Well, the best one ever was, was two Steve Prefontaine movies at the same right. time. Oh, yes. yeah. I forgot yeah. about and, that. Uh, and nobody really knew why there were two of them, and it was right there in this sports movie renaissance. And then Without Limits came out and was just a hundred times better than Prefontaine with Jared Leto. I think Without Limits is probably a rewatchable candidate. I think it's one of the 10 best sports movies. Without Limits is the, is the Robert Town one. Billy Crudup. Yeah, yeah. Donald Sutherland is Bill Browerman. Yeah. It's just a fucking great movie. Really good movie. And, uh, and that one, I think, that was another head-to-head. -head. But this doesn't happen very often. In this case, Costner was the biggest star in the world at that point, which we should also mention. Hanks hadn't really gone full Hanks yet. Costner was coming off Dancing with Wolves and could make any movie he wanted and that he bowed out of this. Yeah, there's a there's an interesting story where Kurt Russell talked to this magazine, True West, like this Western yeah. magazine about- It's online. How Costner essentially gave his blessing to for them to move forward with it because I think Jerry had written Dances with, with Wolves. So they were, they were friendly, I guess, but he had essentially given his blessing to Tombstone, but still then blocked its- getting a deal with anywhere else but Buena Vista, which was a, a subsidiary of Disney. It was like yep. one of Disney's, like a, you know, the 
the the real movie making. That was their adult yeah, movie right. company. And um, so even throughout that, and so they had to make it with Buena Vista pretty much, but even Buena Vista then had like a bunch of things about who they wanted to be cast in the movie or who they would allow to be cast in the movie. It was fascinating. Like Costner swinging his dick around. Yeah. Who could blame him? Yeah. Well, Russell, his story after the director died was that I backed the director, the director got fired, so we brought in a guy to be a ghost director. They wanted me to take over the movie. I said, I'll do it, but I don't want to put my name on it. I don't want to be the guy. I got him from Sly Stallone. Yeah. His tango and cash buddy. <laughs> I called up Sly. I said, I need a guy. Sly did the same thing with Rambo 2 with George. And I said to George, while you're alive, George, I won't say a goddamn thing. So Sly must have directed... Rambo 2 and Cobra and not put his name on it? It's, I mean, Big loser that, of this is George Cosmatos Jr. <laughs> well, Sly, who apparently can't direct anything. Sly, we should say, is famous for taking a lot of credit for things he didn't always do. There's He's a like lot the Hulk of Hogan of movie this. actors. Yes. Yeah. And especially in the Rocky franchise, there's a lot of controversy around what he did and didn't do with John Adelson. Really? But yeah. And, you know, Sly is obviously a total genius and a self-made movie star and iconic, but his memory fails him at times. If you go back and kind of look at the record from the reporting during the making of these movies. Yeah. The miracle of this movie is that, so it was basically, let's just say it's directed by three people. So it's Jerry Cosmatos and Russell. Yeah. You can tell it definitely feels like it was directed by it's three a, people. It's basically a rough cut. And, it's very choppy. And the yeah. Jerry stuff was apparently like he wasn't shooting any coverage, which means like he was doing all this, uh, master shot wide, wide angle, like widescreen, three, four people in a room were standing on the landscape. But then when they were like, well, you got to shoot close-ups. He was like, if I start shooting close-ups, they'll take away the movie from me. So I'm just going to do this sort of, everything is all these people interacting in the frame. And they were like, this is not how you make movies in 1994 or whatever yeah. it was. And that, that wound up being his death knell. That wound up being why he was taken off the movie. But you, there are a couple of scenes like when he arrives by train in the beginning uh, when the Charlton Heston stuff is all Jerry. And then I think after that is a mixture of Cosmatos is kind of like real action stuff versus Kurt Russell's hybrid of the two. Yeah. I think this movie might have been a little bit more elegant if it were if it were Kevin Jarrett's movie, but well, Cos Russell says it it was basically the Godfather of westerns. Right, like it was it was that was the tone that they were going for, and there is a version of it that is that. Right, but it, part of what makes it fun, I think, is it turns into this kind of great shoot 'em up quip fest, and that's why it's a rewatchable. I think yeah. if it were this beautiful Godfather esque western movie, we might not be doing this episode, even though it might have been a quote unquote better film. I agree with that, Val Kilmer. As he's prone to do, he weighed in on the whole thing. He said, I have admiration for Kurt as he basically sacrificed lots of energy that would have gone into his role to save the film. Kurt put his money where his mouth is. Not a lot of stars extend themselves for the cast and crew, not like he did. So I guess I never realized Kurt Russell had this kind of juice. I was like Kurt Russell. I always yeah. felt like he was not quite an A-plus lister, but was definitely, you could put him on a poster there for about 20 years. Is there a case that he's the most underrated star of his generation? I felt that way when I did the podcast with him and was going through his IMDb thinking about movies to tie. I think I'll grab like six movies and there was like 20, but what's weird is like, he never really had, you know, like you look at Val Kilmer and Val Kilmer from 91 to 97, like that's like his moment, right? He has, I think it was The Doors in 97, or I'm sorry, Doors in 91, Tombstone in 93, Batman 95, the worst Batman, but still. Heat 95, Dr. Moreau 96, which I'll stand by until the death. It's an incredible movie. 
<laughs> the Island of Dr. Simba. You just oh, named so Batman good. Forever and the Island of Dr. Moreau, oh, both of which he was, are terrible. He was, they were terrible, but he was a huge star in both. Sure. Ghost in the Darkness with Michael Douglas. That's not bad. I like that movie. And then The Saint, my my vote for most underrated movie of 1997. It's okay. Like The Saint. I'm ready for it to come back. And then the wheels came off for Val, but he was always like, he's the next guy. Mm-hmm. He's going to be a huge star. Here comes Val Kilmer. It's going to be Val's world soon. And it just never happened. He was like one of those basketball players. Yeah, I mean. Like, it, like, like what Ben Simmons is going to be like. Playing Chris in Heat or playing Doc, nice one, nice, playing Doc <laughs> Holiday. Like that's probably his level. He want, He should be the guy who has gets 20 minutes a game, 22 minutes a game, goes off, sits back down again. You I should, think this movie is the perfect microcosm of both of their careers. Yeah. You know, Kurt should always be the lead guy who isn't necess- who is charismatic, but isn't like funny or fun. He just, he's the necessary hero. And Val Kilmer has always been the heat check guy in every yeah. movie he's in. He's, he's really entertaining, but the effort to make him like a big time leading man was kind of pointless because he's a character actor. So we're talking so much about what, like all the behind the scenes stuff and why it's such an interesting movie to read about even up to this day. But I think it's worth mentioning that uh, this is very much of the time period of like these very surprising genre movies that would start out and you'd see like the description of what it was going to be like under siege. And you see, okay, under siege, it's like Steven Seagal on a boat. And then there's something about it that jumps up a level. So whether it's Tommy Lee Jones and under siege or whether it's the Russell Kilmer stuff going on in this movie, it just winds up being like an action movie that's way better than it has any business being. And despite all the behind the scenes stuff, like Tombstone remains so entertaining. Yeah. He, to point out that this was kind of a weird point of Kurt Russell's career. So- Tequila Sunrise 88, which I still can't believe they almost had Pat Riley as his co-star for that. It's one of the great what-ifs of all time. <laughs> also, that it was going to be Pat Riley, and then it ended up being Kurt Russell, but they wanted Pat Riley. Not Pat Riley was going to act. Not to make this like a Robert Town podcast, but we were just talking about him with Prefontaine. He obviously was the yeah. co-writer of The Firm, the last episode of the show that we did together, and he was the writer of Tequila, and director of Tequila Sunrise. Right. Like, greatest screenwriter ever, maybe. Tango and Cash 89. Backdraft 91. And the wheels are coming off here now. 90, 91, Backdraft. Eh. I like Backdraft a lot. It's fine. Yeah. I think it's pretty good. Good cast. Yeah. 92, Unlawful Entry. Okay. I don't think I've seen that. Meaning, I don't know if it's I've seen It's a From Hell movie. Okay. It's like the uh, cop from hell, Ray Liotta. This just starts messing with them. Oh, uh, yeah. Madeline Stowe, right? Madeline Stowe. Yeah, yeah, During okay. the peak Madeline Stowe era. Sure. 92, Captain Ron. My point is, Kurt Russell was not red hot heading into Tombstone, where it's like, here, can you take over this $60 million movie we're making? But somehow he did it, and he had a little little renaissance after that. Uh, Here's what he does. Every five years, he's in something really cool. Like he just like, like even now years. it's like hateful eight. He just will yeah. like every time you're like ah oh, Kurt Russell that you know an eighties guy nineties guy he pops up in Death Proof or Hateful Eight or Backdraft or whatever it is Miracle yeah, Vanilla Fast yeah. Yeah. like he just pops up in these movies and is good. He's really good in Miracle. So Tombstone premieres December twenty fourth nineteen ninety three. Costner and Kasdan's movie comes out six months later and mm-hmm. pops. Um, Roger Ebert. Three stars. Really like right. it. There you go. Singled out Val Kilmer's portrayal as the definitive saloon cowboy of our time. Years later, felt a little agonized that he didn't fight harder for Tombstone. By the way, Siskel, Siskel thumbs downed it. Yes. Did he? Roger Ebert, in his review of Kurt Russell's Dark Blue, said, 
Every time I see Russell or Val Kilmer in a role, I'm reminded of their tombstone, which got lost in the year-end holiday shuffle and never got the recognition it deserved. Roger Ebert's making a big comeback in the rewatchables this year. He he hit a swoon, and now it's like last eight movies, he's been lights out. He's the greatest (laughs) pop movie critic in the history of the medium. glad he stepped it up. I'm and glad he stepped it up heading into the holidays. He was never an underdog, and the way that you've characterized him on this podcast is he had some unfair bad takes. and weird. It's some bad takes. Um, I love watching rewatching this, other than just how fucking crazy it was that it was clear like they just kind of ran out of time with the movie, and they just kind of set it in. Yeah. Um, I, I just really like Kilmer and Russell. And I know we'll get to that, but for some reason, there's some sort of chemistry with those guys that's really hard to find in a Western. Mm-hmm. You see it in like Buddy Cops and you yeah. see it in, uh, I don't know, road trip movies and stuff like that. But in this type of movie, it doesn't really happen. Yeah, there's like five guys throwing a hundred in this movie. Yeah. And and if if it had been as long as Wyatt Earp, they probably would all have needed Tommy John surgery. <laughs> but within the context of this action movie... Stephen Lang and Powers Booth and Michael Bean and Kilmer and Russell having them all together and Billy Zane. And I have the whole list here. It's, I mean, it's, there it's is fucking, not an unknown person in this movie. Here's the cast. It's basically every white actor in 1993 <laughs> except for like two guys. <laughs> Kurt Russell, Val Kilmer, Sam Elliott uh-huh. having a renaissance right now. Powers Booth, Bill Paxton, Michael Rooker, Michael Bean, Fat Billy Bob Thornton. John Tenney mm-hmm. always was going to be the next guy. It never quite happened for right. John Tenney. I always felt like if he had thrown the H in the first name, I think his whole career is different. John <laughs> Tenney. Great, just saying, this yeah. is a great pod from you. Thomas <laughs> Thomas Hayden Church early. Fuck yeah. yeah. Billy Zane, John Corbett with hair. Yeah. Terry O'Quinn. And the one, the only Jason Priestley. Plus Dana Delaney. Yeah. Dana Nicholson. Dana Willard Nicholson. Yeah. We're going to get to her. Yeah. Yeah, and the beautiful, the voluptuous Joanna Pakula, Pakula, Pakula. No idea. Pacula? No idea how to pronounce her last name. Uh, she, it's Grissom, actually. Chad Grissom, <laughs> Pakula. Let's uh, we'll take a break, and then we're gonna do the categories. Hey guys, let's talk about Vudu, a streaming service you can watch on all your favorite devices, including smart TVs, Roku, Chromecast, iPhone, Android phone, and more. The web. Whatever you want, you can stream over 6,000 titles for free, including classic and nostalgic movies and TV shows, rewatchable movies. Mm -hmm. Choose from over 150,000 titles to rent or buy up to 4K quality from the latest Hollywood blockbusters to independent cinema. Free movies refresh monthly, never gets old. Not a subscription service, no monthly fee. Watch free movies and TV, rent or buy whatever you want. If you think of a movie, it's on Vudu. I've had this for like three years. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Yeah. Are there any good Al Pacino movies? My family likes my family likes rainy movies. Um, They asked they they're gonna run a little thing on their front page where they they curated some of my favorite movies Uh that are in the collection. Uh huh. Some of my favorite rewatchables that are available through December. Yeah, let's hear them. Here's what I picked: (laughs) True Romance. We did a rewatchable on that. Great Great pick. Zodiac, mm-hmm. Chris Ryan favorite. A former rewatchables as well. Yeah, one of my favorite Six movies. Six Degrees of Separation, one of my favorite mid-90s movies. That, Dr. Channing, Will Smith, Donald Sutherland, classic. One of your more unique takes about how much you love, love that, that movie. movie. Love it. Kandinsky has two sides. <laughs> Eight Men Out. Mm-hmm. We just talked about that movie last week. Saturday Night Fever, one of the 10 greatest movies of all time. That will be a rewatchable this year. 
Wow. Okay. Jesus, Bill. 2019. Saturday Night Fever. It's happening. Yeah. You're not invited. Okay. I didn't like your reaction. <laughs> solo pod for you? Maybe solo. American History X. Controversial take. <laughs> didn't say it was rewatchable. Just yeah. said it was good. good. So don't, the basketball scene's rewatchable. Singles. Mystic Pizza. The Big Chill. I One love of my all-time favorites. Yeah. Big Chill will be I'll do rewatchable. Big chill Thanks. Running Scared, which Fennessy hates. He's not invited. I said like Running Scared. It's okay. No, he didn't like it. Didn't appreciate Gregory Hines in that one. Basic Instinct. Mm-hmm. Sharon Stone. Kingpin. Bloodsport. Double Jeopardy, which I have a lot of takes on. Anytime you're ready for a Double Jeopardy okay. conversation. Ashley Judd throwing like 108. And then uh, the last one I picked was Cruising with Al Pacino. Hmm, interesting. Would you like to talk about the plot of that movie? It's incredible. It's, it's Al Pacino's most incredible choice. Uh, I'm not going to talk about the plot okay. of the movie, but it's incredible. Check out Voodoo then. Yeah, check it out. Uh, and talk about the, uh, they also have some great movies you want to rewatch with your kids. Stuff like Stuart Little, Free Willy, Pink Panther 2. You don't want to watch Cruising with your kids? <laughs> no. Okay. Not going to watch Cruising with the kids. Head over to VUDU.com slash rewatchables to sign up and start watching today. That is VUDU.com slash rewatchables and you can check out my carefully curated list cruising's an amazing movie whatever you say bill okay directed by the great billy friedkin yeah check it out voodoo all right most rewatchable scene here are the choices feel free to throw in it near the beginning wide Earp confronting heavier billy bob thornton well i'm real scared damn right you're scared I can see that in your eyes. All right, man, go ahead. Go ahead, skin it. Skin that smoke wagon and see what happens. Listen, mister, I'm getting awful tired of your... (laughs) I'm getting tired of your gas. Now jerk that pistol and go to work. (laughs) She's completely emasculating him and then telling the bartender 25% of the house takes. Does that sound about right? Can we get also the time right before he walks up to Billy Bob Thornton where Billy Bob Thornton is like, Christ almighty. It's like I'm sitting here playing cards with my brother's kids, you nerve-wracking sons of bitches. (laughs) (laughs) He's great. Good heat check from him in this movie. Uh, The first OK Corral shootout. Mm -hmm. It's Kurt Russell. The hell's coming with you. Tell all the other curs the line's coming. You tell them I'm coming. And hell's coming with me, you hear? Hell's coming with me. That scene followed by a montage of just them killing people. The Creek shootout, which was Kurt Russell's, uh, his take on what Larry Bird did in the 87 playoffs. He was just basically <laughs> walking on water in the Creek. And then, uh, and then Kilmer versus Michael Bean. The end. Yeah. One-on-one, mano a mano. Would you put anything else in there? Uh, I really like the I'm going to turn your head into a canoe scene. So when they when they kill Ben Johnson mm. and Kurt Russell comes out and pistol whips him yeah. and then Thomas Hayden Church and all those guys are surrounding Kurt Russell and Val Kilmer shows up. He's like, you music lover. <laughs> and he's like, I got two guns, one for each of you. I'm loving your Val Kilmer already. Yeah, uh, I like that uh, that first time Val Kilmer's character says, uh, I'm your Huckleberry, where Bean is drunk and yeah, some of his buddies have already been killed and he's str- trying to challenge Earp and then Doc comes from behind the shadows of the saloon and like, you know, delivers that famous line for the first time. Wretched slugs. Don't any of you have the guts to play for blood? I'm your Huckleberry. That's just my game. 
and not just because of Kilmer, who I think, obviously, I think maybe we should just spend the next hour of the podcast talking about him, but uh, Michael Bean's really good in this movie. Yes. And he, he's it, playing against type, and he's a great villain, and he's a great Johnny Ringo, who's like this real life famous That's character. That's when he's like, I want, I want your blood. blood. Yeah. I want your soul. Yeah. I'm Michael Bean now. is fanta- so good in this movie that I actually went online and researched why his career wasn't better and more important. Yeah, I think he was one- in Terminator and he was in this movie and then really and not aliens. a lot of, and aliens. aliens. Yeah. aliens. Um, one thing that's weird about this else. movie too is that I think that he and Michael Rooker have basically switched parts in this movie. Yeah. It, uh, 99 out of 100 times, I think Rooker would have played Ringo and Bean would have played McSherman, I think his character's yeah. name is. Because the, the, the archetype there of like, the good guy, you're not sure if you trust him, you think you do, that like is Michael Bean. That is who he is in the Terminator. Yeah. And obviously Michael Rooker plays a fucking lunatic in every movie. Yeah. And for whatever reason, they're just not playing those two parts here. But Bean is so good. I came across time for you, Sarah. <laughs> Michael Bean. I don't Great. know why he wasn't a bigger star. He was the lead of the biggest science fiction movie of, of the of the entire 80s other than maybe Aliens. He, he stopped working with James Cameron. And was Cameron. in Aliens. Well, James Cameron doesn't make that many movies. Yeah. So that's part of the problem. He should have been in every James Cameron movie. But him not being in like The Abyss. He is in The Abyss. Oh, he, you're right. He yeah, is in The he's, Abyss. he's one of the crazy Navy SEAL guys in The Abyss. So I guess he's dead and not in Terminator 2. Mm-hmm. And then that's basically it. Yeah. You know, I didn't want to talk about this till after George Cosmato Jr. died, but uh, I was the one who told him to switch roles with Michael Rooker nice. and Michael Bean. <laughs> Great note. <laughs> <laughs> haven't talked about that before. That's what happened. Um, my favorite scene is the hell's coming with me scene and then the killing montage. Wait, and is there it, anything else you would add in there, Fantasy? Man, mm, that's the big five. I do. I think that the scene at the very beginning when they first get off the train and the six of them are looking at each other in the mirror, you know, the, the, the oh, three yeah. cool. brothers yeah, and the sign. three women. So neither of you guys are going to go for the, the 12 minute theater sequence? No. <laughs> Not my nah. favorite part of the movie. No. Nah. We cut that one. We told George to cut that one. Maybe we can go through and nitpicks. I don't totally understand the Billy Zane, Dana Delaney characters. It's coming up. Okay. okay. Yeah, it's coming up. I, uh, from a rewatchable standpoint, if you're flipping channels and it's and Kurt Russell is after Bill Paxton dies and Kurt Russell's on his horse pretending to leave and he sees Powers Booth, if I stumble, I'm just watching from that point on. It's like he's actually going to not leave and he's going to kill everybody. Yeah. And then this is going to end in the creek and he's going to kill you. And I'm watching all of this. It's great. That's my favorite part. I don't know if you have a more rewatchable. I, my, my, my favorite is Billy Bob. I love yeah. that part too. Yeah. And Billy Bob reportedly improvised improvised it. all of his dialogue. Reportedly. Who knows with him? I'm hard to say. Kurt Russell told us that that's <laughs> what he did. He waited till George Cosmato's dead. Uh, let's, I'm flipping this. What's age the worst? And then we'll do what's age the best. What's age the worst? 135 minutes. Yep. Yeah. Probably would have chopped out about 20. Don't know if we needed the theater scene. Maybe we would have just gotten rid of that one. Um, or toned the it down. The theater scene could have been like 45 seconds long. Yeah. That's it, the thing is they do one play. We can they it. do the another play. They do two plays that night, right? Well, he does just a reading from Henry V. Right. And then he does, the, don't they do Faustus too? They do. Yeah. Um, I think it accomplishes a couple of things that you need. It shows you why Jason Priestley is loyal to these guys and why his character, who probably shouldn't be friends with them, is. It shows the constitution of the town, kind of who's in charge, mm-hmm. which I think is effective. Um, it shows you that Wyatt Earp is, like, officially out of the game. You know, like, I think the mayor comes over right at the beginning of that scene, and he's like... I'd like you to meet Mayor Clum and his wife. 
Mr. Earp, Earp, your reputation precedes you. I was wondering if Not you a might prayer. Nice meeting you. Yeah, right. Um, but yeah, 12 minutes is probably unnecessary. You won me over with it, established Priestley's character. It does. <laughs> I, I take it back. But what is what happened? Like Priestley asks Billy Zane to sit down with him. Mm-hmm. I mean this, what happens before that, where Priestley is sitting next to Powers Booth. Yeah. I think that Jason Priestley is just a stan. You know, he's just, <laughs> he's just he's just a big fan. I would say, where are you, get, where are you guys' heads at with the movie opening up with the Cowboys executing all those people at the wedding? I liked it. Like, did you? I'm off for wedding executions <laughs> okay. to set the tone for how bad somebody is. Um, This movie's after The Three Amigos, right? Yeah. <laughs> so it's like kind of the same. Yeah. Same kind of scene. Maybe that's why Kevin Jarry got fired. Maybe. Because uh, he okay. was plagiarizing three amigos. Yeah, there are him. three different parts in this movie where the kind of violence and the killing is really intense and a little bit unstructured, especially at the end where it's kind of unclear like what they're even trying to accomplish. They're just murdering they're people. They're just killing people. The I liked it. Um, That's the George Cosmatos effect though, right? It's, totally. it's like It basically turns into Cobra for it, five minutes. It's exactly right. It's totally a Rambo thing where it's like, why are you just killing everybody? But um, I don't know. That opening sequence is fine. It's, it kind of sets the tone that this is going to be a really gnarly, bare-knuckled, masculine movie. The Woods Age the worst. I had the theater. Just, it's just too long. Um, there's, one then, other, there's one other thing too. Uh, I had one more after that. This movie is like weirdly woke about the woman's place in the old West. (laughs) Have you noticed that? Like Dana Delaney is this like fiercely independent woman. Yeah. Which like, well, that is actually, I think that is actually the Wyatt Earp story because that's also in Wyatt Earp. So I think that he was with that woman, Maddie, and then he falls in love with the actress. With Josephine. Yeah, Yeah. it's true, but I'm not so sure that she was quite as independent as she's portrayed here. Right. There's there's some doubt cast. I thought that their picnic scene sucked. You know, like it's just... (laughs) I, it's I, bad. I, to be completely frank, like I just don't come to Tombstone for picnics. You know, like I'm here. I'm here to watch you guys ride across the desert and savagely murder each other. That so. was a weird kind of late '80s, early '90s movie thing where they was just like, we've got to establish their romantic connection. It's like, no, you don't. We we get it. They yeah. like each other. I don't need to go on a picnic with them. I don't want to be in their date. Thanks anyway. Uh, Bill Paxton's death scene is really bad. It really feels dated when you watch. He's like. Ugh. Yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of like Lurches really forward. long deaths just, they, in this they, movie. We would do that one differently in 2018, sure. I feel like. Um, what's age the best? Well, the mustache is just magnificent. And they, all, they were all real. About an hour and a half in, I'm watching this going, why don't we all have mustaches now and hats? What happened? <laughs> wear hats and mustaches. How can Simmons, could you do- Craig should have one right now, our producer Craig. He should have a fucking hat and a mustache. I can't grow one. With like, Well, obviously they all had to grow one back then somehow, right? Well, we know that Kurt Russell can grow incredible facial hair, so yeah. that's not shocking. Would but- you, why don't you, for the fans- for yeah. Christmas. Grow a tombstone grow mustache? Grow a tombstone goatee and take a picture and, and throw it out there for the kids today. Is it a goatee or just a mustache? Well, Powers Booth and, and Val Kilmer have goatees, right? Um, no, they have the uh, the soul patch. Oh, the, the soul mustache. patch. Fine. I'm in. Um, I love the I mustaches. If I grow a mustache, I look like a dirtbag cop from 1974. Know, so even it, better. It's the times when I most feel friends with you. Yeah, I, I can't do it. Because <laughs> it's so cool. It's like being friends with Gene Hackman. Uh, wow. I'll take it. <laughs> what else has aged the best? Crazy loaded cast we talked about. I just love Dana Delaney. She, I thought she was one of my... Uh, Good career, but it felt like it could have been Were you better. A China Beach fan, little oh hell yeah! 
she was kind of the Carlo Gugino of her era where it's like, why aren't you a bigger star? You should be like one of the five big, why, are, why is Demi Moore a much bigger star than you? I, I never understood it. What I about like Carlo Gugino? <laughs> Same thing. Okay. Carlo Gugino? Didn't you say Carlo though? <laughs> Carlo Gugino? Carlo Gugino is so good in those Fellini movies. Carlo Gugino is the guy who has James Caan shot at the toll booth in Godfather. <laughs> How do you pronounce her name? Carla. Carlo. Gugino, yeah. Carla Gugino. Yeah, but you said Carlo. No, I said Car. I meant Carla. I know. I know it's Carla. I, I, I think- also remember you walking her right by my effing office and not, not knocking. It's getting it's the worst thing Chris Ryan's ever done to me. I think Dana Delaney had a bigger career than Carla Gugino, who is who we all love. But but I think she should have been like an A list star. And Maybe. this was the only time somebody said in a movie like, "This is a big ass movie, and you are the lead female." And Apparently you haven't seen Exit to Eden. Well, that was where it went wrong. She's still my second favorite actress in this movie, though. Did you guys watch China Beach? Yeah. yeah my mom was a big time. China Beach fan, so it was on a lot. What was it? What did they? I don't know why it's not streaming it, but the last episode. You know it, what? So much of that 80s stuff is not. It's like Murphy Brown isn't streaming, Northern Exposure. Isn't I don't screaming. think they can get the music rights, but in the last episode, the last episode of China Beach is one of the best last episodes I've ever seen. But they're older. It goes forward. Mm. And they go to the Vietnam Memorial to see the names of the people that basically were on the show that died during the show. And they start playing Michael McDonald's, You Can Let Go Now. And it's like, it was so right. It's like the piano comes in and they're pointing on the wall and crying. It's like the most emotional two minutes You're of any television show. It's fucking unbelievable. I didn't think we like, were going to go to China Beach in this Jesus. episode. It's unbelievable. Yeah. He's like, you can let go now. And everybody's sobbing. It's fucking great. That was such a good show. That's good. Oh, man. All right. You really uh, just spoiled the whole show. Yeah, sorry. That's oh, 30 years. I thought the 1880s Wild Wild West age really well. Yeah, they do a really good job with the, like the world building in this. I mean, on the 1880s Wild Wild West. I mean, they had liquor, brothels, gambling. Mm-hmm. You can kind of see you wore the, hats. You had mustaches. You can Good see times. the Godfather thing that Russell's talking about when he moves into Tombstone and immediately takes over the Pharaoh game at the Oriental. Yeah, and it's like you can tell he's kind of using his reputation to muscle in on some stuff. Like mm-hmm. he wins the deeds for the mines off that guy. And he's like, everything about it is about his making as much money as possible because he feels like they've been kind of screwed over in their lives because they have nothing to show for all this fame that they have. And I kind of thought that that was probably somewhere in there is a really interesting movie about this, this guy who's supposed to stand for law and order, essentially screwing people out of stuff. I tend mm. to think of this movie as the bridge from John Ford Westerns to Deadwood, where it's like yeah. the, the old West was actually really gnarly and violent and vulgar. And this movie is really one of the first Westerns that was ever full of people just being like, fuck you, no fuck you. And then shooting somebody in the head. Yeah. And obviously that's eventually what and Deadwood the Bill becomes. Paxton scene, like there's so much blood. They never did that. In the Westerns. Sam Elliott thing. They're like, you're not gonna be able to use your arm anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That was different. That was very intense. Yeah. Mm. Uh, the closing credits age the best for me. I don't know if you've ever watched. I did last night. It's just four solid minutes of them walking with close-ups <laughs> for no reason. It's like it's like a, a Vanity Fair photo shoot almost. They're all their outfits and they're just walking and it's like one and it's the other guy. It's like both unintentionally funny but kind of cool. You once shot one of those segments, you and Jalen, for Countdown. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Enjoyed it. And then uh, the other one for what's age the best for me. I just enjoy that era of Val Comer. Yeah, like, he's great. That all the way through Heat. I love him in Heat. Obviously, Chris and I have talked about Heat forever. 
but um, just the potential of them. It's like watching the old Fab Five games with like. You C- let me know when you want to go deep on Kilmer. I'm ready right now. Do, should we do it's it like now? Or should the, do it? It's like watching the Sea Web at Michigan or early Golden State, where just like I know it didn't totally work out, but. God, if you could just bottle this right here, there's really something special. So he really should have been a bigger star. I don't. We don't. Want, I don't want to spoil any casting what ifs, but we could talk about Kilmer himself. Which is, I think that the reason this movie is really special is because you can tell almost on camera. You can watch on film. These all all these guys recognize what's going on with Kilmer. Like he's so good that they 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 change their performances to elevate his because nobody's really behaving quite in the same way. Nobody's as like lush and romantic. Everybody's like all oh, verge. And what do you think, Morgan? And Val Kilmer is just like free jazz happening. And he's just, you know, so poetic. And and he's like, you know, coughing and sweating and feverish. He's like green. He's like a, he's like a Byron Shelley kind of like figure in this movie. And, and they all kind of recognize it and make themselves more Amish. And make themselves like more buttoned down. I think it's good character too, because the Earps are from Kansas. Mm-hmm. And, and Doc is from Georgia. And there's a certain kind of person that is from Georgia, and there's a certain kind of person that is from Kansas. Dobbins. And, and Amanda Dobbins, our colleagues from Georgia, she is poetic, you know, and she sweats a lot. Um, and, you know, that's like, it makes sense that a Southern gentleman who's great at cards and great with guns and is slick and smooth and great with women um, would be this way. And if you give him tuberculosis, then he starts to look like that. But yeah. it kind of, you're right, though, that like the actors are really leaning into the fact that they have to be more austere, more sort of like solid American oak while he can be this kind of tree blown in the wind. Yeah, and like, you know, the, the the guy, especially Kurt Russell, is like trying to find a wife that will get him, but will also like stoke the kind of, you know, stoke his soul and make him feel like an energetic. He wants to go do room, get room service all over the world and keep moving on. And it's truly like the, the real partner for him is Holiday. Like that's oh, the yeah. one where he's like, well, how the hell are you is his first line to him. And you can tell that that's the love story at the center of the movie is the two of them. It just, it, it's, it's kind of an amazing portrayal of friendship in that sense. Well, so we did the 93 Oscars. We talked about this during the firm and I ripped through the best supporting actor, which Tommy Lee Jones won for the fugitive DiCaprio with eating Gilbert grape, Ray fine Schindler list, John Malkovich in the line of fire and Pete Postlewaite for uh, in the name of fire. Uh, the father. Um, it's kind of amazing that Comer didn't get nominated. It's a stacked category. I, I get think, it, but man. I, I think that Malkovich is really good at In the Line of Fire. I'm not sure that that is as It's not as good as Memorable Kilmer. a performance as Kilmer. It goes back to our whole quest to have them wait five years to do the Oscars, which yeah. I'll never do. But I think if five years passes, Kilmer's nominated. And yeah. this, this movie is, to your point, Bill, like a, perfect example of a movie that was like a pretty modest hit. It did well. Didn't do amazingly well. I'm not even positive I saw it in the theater. I definitely didn't. I, I saw I, I saw it on cable. definitely did. And this yeah. was during a time when I saw everything in the theater, but it came out over the holidays and I, I just don't think I saw it. I but, was, I mean, I was like the t- like target audience because it was those movies like- I, The Westerns. I, I, well, it's also Christmas break. So like all, all, the only thing you 16? had to do, yeah. 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 So the only thing I had to do was go to the movies. But it really took on a new life. I must have watched this in my friend's basement like 25 times growing up. You know, it was yeah. just on TV all the time and so, 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 so rewatchable. Another what's age the best, tuberculosis vaccine. 
Because you're watching this, you're like, wow, what fucking suck to have tuberculosis. Also, like, you I turn green and you cough blood. It's weird that Thank everybody God. is like, you longer. Like, it's like such like a, everybody is like insulting him because he has tuberculosis. Yeah. They're like, oh, you dirty, coughing, sweaty lunger. <laughs> also, maybe don't smoke cigarettes with tuberculosis. Oh, come on. Like, they didn't know. He was drinking whiskey yeah, like 24 hours a day. Well, there is that famous scene where the doctor comes and is like, no more whiskey, no more cigarettes, and I think no more fucking this woman. No more, no more gambling, yeah. And no more gambling. Yeah. Uh, last what stage the best, Joanna Pacula, Pacula, Pacula. It's pronounced I'm not, Gugino. I'm not, uh, I'm not sure why she wasn't a bigger star. No idea. She what else had did she run? do besides this? Do you know? I'm to, can you do one more Val Kilmer soliloquy and I'll look that up. She she was around for a while and it was always one of those, why aren't you a bigger star? And then just wasn't around. Why I am rolling. <laughs> Yeah, he said, what did? What was his I story? I have not even begun to defile myself. <laughs> what was his story for that accent? I have no idea. Did he have one? Yeah, I think I have that in my notes somewhere. All right, so she... He's like if Yosemite Sam was trying to read Oscar Wilde, mm-hmm. you know? It was really like ridiculous over the top, but also perfect. Yeah. She just never made it. She was in Mark for Death with Steven Seagal. Tombstone. Pretty good one-two punch. My Giant. My giant. Okay. Yeah. Just never, never made it. This was Tombstone was her legacy. We, we're going to keep, we're, when are we going to stop fucking around and talk about Dana Wheeler Nicholson? We're, we're getting there. Casting <laughs> what ifs. Um, what do you think Sage the worst, by the way, the, the 135 minutes? It's too long. It's way too long. And what's Sage the best? Billy Bob Thornton. Oh, well, it's the, the best. Yeah. Fucking Kilmer, right? I go with mustaches. Phenomenal. Yeah. Casting what ifs. Costner was supposed to be wide herp. Kurt Russell said the film was nearly cast with Richard Gere as Wyatt Earp and William Def- Willem Dafoe as Doc Holliday. Yeah. No And this no. was blowback oh, from Lord. Last Temptation? That might be straight to video. Yeah, Def- so because it was Buena Vista. Yeah, because of Buena Vista, Buena Vista was like, we're not ca- casting the guy who he was in Last, Last Temptation of Christ yeah. five years earlier. Buena Vista said, no, yeah. you're not casting him. Willem Dafoe was a great actor. Thank God he was not Doc Holliday. I have another thank God for you. Mickey Rourke was almost cast as Johnny Ringo and turned it down. I As good as Bean is... No, this, stop it. There's a good beans great in this. this. Come on. This would have been a cool Mickey Rourke role. I think that might have been one too many cooks in the kitchen. If if you've got Cosmatos yeah. coming in and there's all this turmoil, I just feel like Rourke is like, that's when Rourke's like, I'm actually directing this movie. <laughs> yeah, I think he goes full ISO ball. It's like Carmelo and OKC. He's like, clear out. I'm Mickey Rourke. Um, the Dion Waiters Award. I have these three candidates, but feel free to throw in somebody else in. Stephen Lang. Mm-hmm. Michael Bean. I feel like he's not in it quite enough, so he qualifies. Mm-hmm. And then obviously Billy Bob. Yeah, it's Billy a Bob's tough, in like tough four scenes. So I think that Billy Bob gets more out of his time on screen. But Stephen Lang, who is reportedly actually hammered for the entire like the entire movie, is so out of control in this movie. And actually is just like every time you see him, you're like, what a piece of shit. Yeah, I can't fucking wait kill till that this guy. guy dies. Put a bullet in that guy's head. He's <laughs> also my vote. And he's also only in like five or six scenes, so he qualifies. God, this movie was really good at identifying guys who are gonna be really famous too. You yeah. know, like I mean, not that Stephen Lang's really famous, but I mean he's respected famous. He's basically the star of Avatar. Yeah. And yeah. <sighs> I don't know. If if Bean is in the category, it's Michael Bean. Because that he was re-watching it again. I was like, holy shit, this is a great villain. 
And I don't maybe when him being... and Val Kilmer just talk Latin to each other for thirty seconds. That whole scene is so great. In vino veritas, Ajik Wurajis, creda Judaea Sotella non ego, Juventus Stultorum. Come on, boys. We don't want any trouble in here. Not in any language. That's Latin, darling. Evidently, Mr. Ringo's an educated man. He plays one hand, wins 500 bucks. Yeah. And then, yeah. I don't think Bean qualifies. He's okay. in that movie. I, I think it's Stephen Lake. Okay. Half-assed international re- research. Uh, all the mustaches in the movie were real. Val Kilmer practiced for a long time on his crick draw speed mm. and gave his character a Southern aristocrat accent. So there you go. I'll be damned really were the final words of Doc Holliday. Historians have debated on why he said that to this day. They don't know why he said it. Well, I like the theory that he, as a gunman, always thought of himself as somebody who would die with his boots on. Not just from tuberculosis. And when he looks at his feet and doesn't have his boots on, he says, I'll be damned, I'm dying without my boots on. Like, that was the thought that he was having. We'll never know. Johnny Ringo in real life did not die at the hands of Doc Holliday. Oh. Suicide. Why? I don't know. Wow. Sad. I don't know. He, was a, he, <laughs> was, he started dating Lady Gaga and then her career <laughs> took off. George. <laughs> Craig like that. Craig, Craig, Craig finally, got a yes. finally cracked a smile. Uh, Cosmatos did claim that Stephen Lang was drunk for most of the filming. Here's the translation of what Doc and Johnny Ringo said to each other in Latin. You ready for this? Doc Holliday, in wine there is truth. Johnny Ringo, do what you do. Doc Holliday, let Apelia the Jew believe, not I. Johnny Ringo, youth is the teacher of fools. Doc Holliday, rest in peace. It's more fun in Latin. Terrible conversation. At tonight's Ringer holiday party, (laughs) I shall be saying to Chris Ryan in vino veritas. (laughs) Um, Apex Mountain. Hmm. Really interesting Kurt Russell discussion is about to happen right now. I think it's the thing. That's my favorite Kurt Russell. Because he's he's not yet at... It's not your favorite. It's what was the highest, best point of his career. Well, if you look at that time, the thing is 82. And then Big Troubles after that? He's just done Escape from New York. And he's got Silkwood and Swing Shift coming. And then Big Trouble in Little China comes yeah. after that. I mean, that's... I vote no, good. I vote no because Escape from New York was a cult movie that only later became a really big thing. Right. But the thing was a hit. And now if we look back on his career, I, it's, was it Apex it's Mountain so, at I the mean, time? Like, or if you didn't read about reflection? Tombstone, it makes it basically sound like Kurt Russell was able to finance this movie. Right. And that that is coming off of Backdraft, which was a relatively big hit. And he was the star of, you know. I don't feel like it was, as, this to me is more like a LeBron, the 2018 finals for Kurt Russell. Okay. Getting this finance. I'm going controversial, Tango and Cash. It's not that controversial considering who you are. It's, <laughs> it's the end of the 80s. Uh-huh. He has established himself as an A-list star. He just did Tequila Sunrise, which did really well and was well-liked and had Michelle Pfeiffer in it. Goes, does a movie with Stallone. It's a it's a hit. People like it. And it's an absolutely ridiculous movie that really him and Sly were the only two that would have pulled that off. And by the end of that movie, you're like, Kurt Russell's an A-plus list star. 
It's not I don't a feel huge like you thought hit. that way the whole decade. For the record, Tango and Cash. <laughs> what? It's kind of a disappointment. Tango and Cash cost $55 million to make and it made $66 million. Right? That's not, and Sean also $55 million in 1988 is, is like $160 million. You be careful, Sean. Fancy. Okay. <laughs> it's also careful. not that good. <laughs> no, but it's, I'm talking about Kurt Russell's career. By the time he made that movie, now that opens up backdraft, that yeah. opens up his ability to finance Tombstone. Sure. I, I get it. So I don't know. I I don't, it. What's weird is I don't. I think the actual answer is there was no Apex. It's kind of what's cool what, about his career. Yeah, yeah. yeah. he's like kind he of never like had that a, one moment. A, a range of rolling hills. I don't think yeah. he ever got nominated for an Oscar. Kurt Russell. I don't think so. He was never in like. Oh, maybe Miracle. He got nominated. I no, think he did not. You sure? I'm pretty positive. Hmm. He was nominated for Best Supporting Actor for Silkwood, which is why it's his Apex Mountain around the thing. Because 82, yeah, 83 Shantry. is when he was at his best. Escape from New York. It's starting to become a cult movie. The Thing. Silkwood. He's in a movie wow, with Meryl Streep. a 180 from you. You really backed no, off. No, Sean's right. I forgot he got nominated for an Oscar. Okay. That's fair. He also could have had a different career. It's interesting that he leaned into the masculine yeah. hero stuff. You know, he could have been like a very, like a serious theatrical He's, dramatic it's, actor. It's really is for him. Him and Harrison Ford are cut from the same cloth. Mm-hmm. They have like a certain smarts to them, but they really are throwbacks to a kind of Paul Newman charisma and they they it's interesting that Ford gets those two franchises and it, it basically sets him up for the rest of his career and Russell is always kind of three good ones three bad ones three good ones three bad ones there's no easy way to say this so I'm just gonna say it he's just a good looking dude man you see him in Tombstone it's like that guy's this guy that guy's a guy who should be in a poster Piercing and eyes. be the leading man in a movie yeah. and he's just he's at his most handsome Apex Mountain, Val Kilmer. I'm going to say no. I would imagine that Top Gun is his Apex Mountain because after that, he does... When does he do Top Secret? Right after that or right before that? I don't feel... Remember, like part of this is when you have the most career sway. Yeah, I think coming out of Top Gun, there people were like, this guy is probably neck and neck with Cruise, right? Nah, that was a Cruise movie. I'm going Heat. He's in Heat. He's the nearest wingman. That's the biggest movie of like the mid nineties, basically when it comes out, it's like Pacino versus De Niro, Michael Mann. This is a fucking thing. And Val Comer's like right there. It's like, I'm the fucking next wave. I'm here. Well, what was he, what was he in before Batman? And then get- he gets Batman from heat. Right before Batman is true romance. Um, when he's Elvis, he's barely in also that, Kurt Russell famously also yep. played Elvis. Um, and then tombstone before that, but before that it's the real McCoy. And then before that is Thunderheart and then the doors. Um, you could make the case that it's 1987 right after Top Gun because he's Willow. Right That's what I'm that. saying. Mad Mardigan. Mm-hmm. And that, speaking of Harrison Ford, was probably hopefully going to be his Han Solo and it didn't work out. Yeah. I mean, for me, my personal apex with him is The Doors because I thought he was out of control in that movie. Dude, I, if you want to do a that. Doors rewatch, I fucking love The Doors. We have to do JFK <laughs> before The Doors. There's no way we're doing The Doors as the Oliver Stone There's movie. like 11 movies in my life that I've seen twice in the theater. And, and the, the doors, doors is one? was one of them. Yeah, I was like, I'm going back. That's a good quiz. Is to, is uh, what were the eleven movies? <laughs> the doors was one of them for me. I went and I'm like, I'm Shawshank. Going back. It was Ro- so good. Rocky Four. You saw Rocky Four no, twice. Man, I'm, t- I'm guessing yours. No, you saw Rocky Four once, but you saw the doors twice. That's super weird. The doors was great. <laughs> <laughs> Second one was on a date. Okay. I see two movies. Like I see a movie twice, like six times a year. That's like incredibly common. I saw for me. Phantom Thread twice in the movies. Hell yeah. Um, Priestley. 
you should make this argument yourself because no one knows the ins and outs of Priestley more than you do. Well, here's here's the answer. Thousand percent apex mountain for Priestley. Nano Tumino is never bigger, and he's in a movie with Kurt Russell and Val Comer. He's, and has like a couple heat check scenes. This is it. This never is been the better steepest for Priestley. mountain of all time. If you look at his career, because it's a very narrow period in it's which the, he is at a height, and his yeah. height is very high, but it it is precipitous in its drop on either side. Well, be careful. That's who knows a big show. Sure, for about three and a half years. Yeah, yes. Yeah. No, but I do think this is a good example of Apex Mountain. This literally was his Apex yes, Mountain. and it was probably it's like, like specific the specific point where it's like, this is the my first Apex. dabbling of maybe I'm going to go do the movies now, yeah. right? Yeah, he dabbled all right. <laughs> Dana Delaney, I feel like it's got to be when she was on China Beach, which I think was still, was gone at this point. That seems reasonable. I don't really have any other Apex Mountains other than George Cosmatos, ghost director. I think, I think... I think we covered him. I can't think of another person in here. Maybe that should be a ringer video where you're really directing a video, but we're pretending somebody else is doing it. <laughs> can we um, can we talk a little bit about the late Bill Paxton? Sure. Um, I don't think that this is a Mount Rushmore Paxton performance. It's not. Um, I think Aliens, Near Dark, One False Move, Weird Science, Weird Science, True Lies. Twister, these are all yeah. much better Bill Paxton performances. But at this time, is this like the sweetest spot for him when he's kind of figuring out how to be Bill Paxton? Cause- yeah, because I think that the thing with Aliens that's interesting is that Sigourney Weaver is obviously the star and the hero of that movie, but Paxton and Bean are supposed to, like, would in any other world be the stars of Aliens. Like, yeah. they would make the, the guy soldiers the stars. So it's very interesting to see their trajectory after that. And Paxton, I think they tried to make him a star a couple of times. And it actually, like, when he has carried a movie, like, One False Move is incredible. Um, although you can like make the, the argument that that's also Billy Bob's movie. They split the time between I don't feel them. like until Twister was Hollywood's concerted effort to be like, Bill Paxton is a major star and he's on the cover of Entertainment Weekly and this is your buying yeah. this. Because I remember when it was happening, part of the Twister marketing was... Bill Paxton, Helen Hunt, and Philip Seymour Hoffman are going to be stars. Mm-hmm. And instead of going to get actual stars, we got these people because they're going to be stars. Yep. And that was like how they marketed it. He had been so, around for a long time. Yeah, but point. he never kind of. Well, that was also coming popped. out of the 80s where it was like you, to make a movie, you have to have a movie star. And then they started realizing to make a movie, you have to have a tornado or a meteor or, you know, something like an alien well, the one invasion. That, the one that changed it was speed. Yeah. When Keanu was the guy in Speed, they all kind of looked at each other and said, oh, okay. Yeah. How do we do that again? Lo and behold, they did discover one of the biggest movie stars of the next 20 years in Sandra Bullock in that movie, so that helped. Right. But she'd been around. Yeah. She'd, she'd been, been in a couple of things. Yeah. But I do think that changed the mindset. Um, I do love Paxton. I think he's one of the all-time great number two or three guys in a movie. Oh, he's and incredible. He's, all he's doing in this movie, he's setting picks. He yep. made a couple corner threes. Oh, he literally he is just D. like, you're the one, Wyatt. Yeah. Like, that's just like, yeah. Got to, did some- uh, He did, spits a lot in this movie. He had a good handshake line. <laughs> yeah. At the beginning of the movie, he's in the, he's at the scorer's table doing a handshake with each guy as they come in. Like, <laughs> and he's then just there's a that part where, uh, where Holiday, like Wyatt's <laughs> telling him about his new wife and, and Doc's like, pure as the driven snow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and Bill Pax is like, hey. <laughs> Classic. The Joey Pants Award given out to uh, the, hey, it's that person for the movie. There's a lot of them in this movie. 
I still don't feel like most people know who Stephen Lang is or could recognize him. Mm-hmm. Am I off on that? Well, he doesn't look, he looks, if you he saw him now, of, you'd he, be like, that's the guy from Avatar. Because that's how he usually looks. Yeah. In this movie, he's got the beard, he's wearing the hat. He looks like a real, like a homeless guy, really. Yeah. So he's very unrecognizable. His face is covered in mud. Yeah. But I think Dana Wheeler Nicholson is the answer. She's, that girl from Fletch, can I borrow your towel? My car just hit a water buffalo. <laughs> uh, she has. Do you guys want to just like roll through this and do a Fletch rewatchables right now? I fucking love Fletch. I think everybody between the age of like, I would say 30 to 50. It's has, all ball bearings these days. <laughs> well, they, they have a massive crush on her. She's awesome in that She might movie. be like platonic ideal of a woman. And it was weird because if you come out of the movie, you're like, she's going to be a massive star. And I, I think uh, my theory is that Elizabeth Schumacher corrected her. Oh, that's yeah. legit. Yeah, I like that a lot. Same appeal. Interesting. I, Could have I, been there for her. I don't know. No? I still hold a candle for her. She's amazing. And Fletch, she is like incredible in Fletch. Underrated uh, Dana Wheeler Nicholson performance is Bye Bye Love, where she's like kind of sort of the love interest. She's one of the moms. You remember this? Matt, with Matthew oh, Modine. with uh, Paul Reiser? Yeah. She also had, I want to say she was on like Sex in the City or she one was. of those. Yeah. She was on a ton of, she was on like X-Files. She was on a ton, and then she was somebody's mom. Was she in Friday Night Lights? She was. She's, She's Tyra's, Tyra's mom. mom. That's Great right. career. What a legend. And then she was on Nashville recently. Yeah. She's my Joey Pants winner because at the end, they just casually tell us she died of a drug overdose. Yeah, it's also, that's the thing is like, <laughs> <laughs> it's such a bad beat for her because like everybody is just like bawling out in this movie and she's got to be on laudanum the entire time. And like they have that running thing where he's just like, is that the the same bottle you've been working on? It's like quite obviously not the same bottle. Like every yeah. time she hits it, she takes like a giant slug of cough syrup. But, and then like, there's that part where he comes back from hanging out with Dana Delaney and he tries to basically make her into Dana Delaney. And she's just like, what the fuck are you talking about? And she's like crying because she's so high. I love it. I actually thought she, was mis- I thought she was miscast. Not the most subtle performance I've ever seen. <laughs> the first shot of her when she's basically just Don't like- Don't you dare talk about Gail Stanwyck that way. <laughs> she's drooling mucus and crying because she needs her hit of laudanum so bad. It's just well, like, all right, we get that, it. That leads us to the Saul Rubinek They Knew Award, which is also <laughs> won by Dana Wheeler Nicholson. <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah, it is. In this fucking movie uh, with listen, Powers Booth, no. you're going to tell me that Dana Wheeler Nicholson <laughs> yes. is the fucking Saul Rubinek winner? Yes. No fucking way. I Sean, will walk you're the tiebreaker. Um, Powers Booth. It's Dana Wheeler Nicholson. It is definitely not Dana Wheeler Nicholson. I thought Powers Booth was good in this movie. I, it's a lot, it's a lot of Powers. It's probably more Powers Booth than we needed is my favorite. Oh yeah. Right? He should have, eight minutes should have been in the Just cutter chilled out, chilled out. The thing is, Daniel Church is closer to the to the Saul Rubinek Award. Wheeler Dana Nicholson, in, when she's in bed, she's in after f- he gets back yeah. from the picnic. Yes. How are you feeling, Maddie? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I'm all right. That is not good, Chris. <laughs> she's, she's so high. She's like laughing at her misery. But Chris, I love Gail Stanwyck. She's not good in this movie. Dude, you guys are both fucking wrong. <laughs> and the fact that you're saying Dana Wheeler Nicholson is overacting in Tombstone in a movie where Powers Booth wears a sash and sashays around town being like on opium shooting guys in the chest. It, Michael Bean is in this movie. Well, I have one more candidate if you want another candidate. Sure. I think Billy Zane overacts in every movie, and uh, I just don't think he's good. In fairness to him, that is literally the point of his character. Well, unfortunately, he played that exact same character in his next nine movies. <laughs> yeah. But he's an 
actor he's in this a serial movie. killer in yeah. a boat, and he's still that guy. He's this very dr- melodramatic yeah. actor. He's um, a bad actor. There's also you could actually make an argument in a different kind of way that Sam Elliott is overdoing the no, Western come thing. Come on, come on! Um, it's Gail Stanwyck. She blew it. Is it possible? She blew, it. she blew it. Is it possible that it's Robert Mitchum as the completely as the narrator? unnecessary yeah. narrator? Like, it's why do we? Narrator. Why do we need that narrator? That was a pick and nits for me. Okay. Why, why right, have right. no? It's just that's it. I, why do we need a narrator? It's almost like this is the cliche of how we tell a western. Yes, we'll have a narrator and he'll do this. Yeah, and they came in. Let's there. pick nits. That's I got that one. Maddie dying of a drug overdose. I don't know why that got thrown in. Couldn't they have given her a happy ending? My biggest. Well, they could have just killed her in the middle of the movie, like the way that or they have her die. It. Yeah. yeah, I make the death pay off, or yeah. they intentionally get her to overdose. Isn't or- it basically to forgive him for running off with Dana Delaney? It's like, well, he was a widower anyway. And it is, but they invest so much time in the drug addiction that they could have just like had her die in a scene as yeah. opposed to just yes, ending it. Her character does not need to be in the movie, is really the problem with that. And it, is, and, and the payoff of it is the narrator you guys telling think this us. This is a weird take by me. It's a weird take by both of you guys. Dana Wheeler Nicholson is alive. So if you <laughs> want to get at her, you yeah. should just hit up her just agent. Hit her on Twitter. DM her. I'm just defending her acting and her role. And it's just so weird that you guys are like, I watched Tombstone and the thing that bothers me most is the Didn't performance say me the of this woman who's in three scenes when these other guys are hamming it up like boar's head. Can I, can I defend Gail Stanwyck? The part is poorly- Look at him. I'm defending Gail Stanwyck. The part is poorly written. I, I, and it's, no, I disagree. What? It, it, the thing is, it, the Saul Rubinick Award is not a demerit. It's an award. He's so, like, she blew it. Well, I didn't say that. Yeah, what I'm saying is, is that she's overdoing it. When she's, she's doing, you stab me in the heart when she's like, I'm on all the laudanum right now and I can't talk to my man. It's, like, she, <laughs> it's just bad. It's a, but it's a bad part and it, they, and it has no payoff because the narrator just tells us that then she died. So we, we go on no emotional journey with Gail Stanwyck in this movie. <laughs> this is a, a lot of time spent talking about this character, yeah. but I did read that the woman who, you know, Josephine, who yeah. uh, Wider ends up with in real life, spent the rest of their life together making an effort to bury that part of Wyatt's life. So like, kind of like just being like, don't ever think about Maddie. Trying to erase her from history. Mm. Trying to, whenever they would tell the story of Wyatt Earp, she tried, she inserted herself into the history when Matt, when uh, Gail Sandwick was there. My other nitpick, other than the ones we already mentioned, it's really upsetting to me that they didn't have like an awesome poker scene in this movie. It was all there. They had well, they the Oriental. They had a pretty good one where he stabs the guy in the beginning. Eh, I'm saying like yeah. Wyatt Earp versus Powers Booth. If you if you mean choice like, hey, choice A, 12-minute theater scene. <laughs> choice B, Wyatt Earp, Powers Booth, and Kilmer, and, and they're Bean, all playing yeah. poker, and it's starting to get heated. It just felt like a wasted opportunity. I want to watch 1880s poker. I'm Should in. we bring Pharaoh back? Well, that's Do the they thing. still play that at casinos? They don't really play Pharaoh anymore. That's really the game that the Earps come to 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 make money with. Yeah. And Pharaoh is this That's like blackjack we- kind of, right? It, it's a weird French game um that is really out of out of fashion now. Um and they don't explain it. You know, for a movie that kind of overexplains a lot of stuff, they yeah. just accept as common cause that everybody knows what Pharaoh is, but nobody plays that anymore. Well, Kilmer says, says like, I don't play games of chance like that. Like, I'm not going to like, that. that's like for suckers. But he play. does play poker. Yeah, he does play poker. He plays a lot of poker. Maybe poker's not your game. Perhaps a spelling bee. That's a great line in the movie. <laughs> any other nitpicks? Um, 
any more nitpicks? There's a bunch of like weird edits where there's like it's like nighttime twice, yeah. and it's like unclear whether it's the same day or not. But they're not worth like really like. I think George Cosmatos was really just trying to get this. The thing only nitpick out. I have is the way you guys have assessed Dana Wheeler Nicholson's performance. How about that? I, here's <laughs> my biggest problem with the movie is after Doc Holliday kills Johnny Ringo, which is just an amazing scene. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's just a lot of killing that happens after that that I don't really understand. I guess they're hunting down Ike. Yeah, I mean, and here's Ike. a nitpick is that the last third of the movie is essentially like, uh, like it's crazy, Cobra. it's like a lynch mob. Like yeah. They're just going around like killing everybody. Yeah. yeah That's that, what Cobra was. Cobra, the last 30 minutes was basically like, this cult has lost its mind and yeah. they're just killing everybody. Sly's got to stop them. It's like, but, what's happening? But the heroes are killing everybody in this movie. That's yeah. what's weird about yeah. it, you know? Yeah. It, it, it's just kind of one of those things where it's all leading up to Doc succumbing to TB and then Wyatt having that final sit down with him. And then he goes and he meets up with Josephine and then they're happily ever after. But I don't know. I that, Just that whole little interlude in the third act, I found it to be a little strange. Best quotes. I never saw a rich man that didn't have a guilty conscience. I already have a guilty conscience. I might as well have the money too. It's great. It's a good line. I don't think I'll let you arrest us today, Behan. Like how Kurt Russell says that. Make no mistake, it's not revenge he's after. It's the reckoning. <laughs> Said that about Chris Ryan after Grantland got <laughs> blown away. <laughs> uh, I can't remember the exact line, but when um, when Kilmer, they asked something like, Sorry, being dead, what the hell are you doing this for anyway? Wad up is my friend. Kill, I got lots of friends. And then Kilmer kind of looks the way he's like, I don't. That whole part's great. It's just great Val Kilmer. Virtually every line of dialogue that Val Kilmer has. a lot has of great lines. It's really good. I really like... Um, Johnny, I apologize. I forgot you were there. You may go now. Yeah. That part is really good. I mean, you're Daisy, Daisy do. do. I'm your Huckleberry. Yeah. yeah, like a lot yeah. of the Kilmer stuff. Probably unanswerable questions. Does Kevin Costner make this movie better or worse? Well, we know that answer. He did make the movie. You put Kevin Costner in this movie with everybody else. Oh, man. I don't think you can make it without Russell. Russell is just like, I think Costner, especially at this point, was be- was in his own head about being like an auteur. And, and he's making also these, like, too famous. Yeah. Russell is like the right level of famous. One of the reasons why Wyatt Earp is so long is that they go into so much detail about the like the romantic relationships he had. And, and like, because it starts with him, like, in, as like a teenager, yeah. goes all the way through his law enforcement and goes all the way to Tombstone. But like a lot of time is spent with his different like relationships. So I think he was interested in different aspects of the character. Here's what Russell said, and it leads to an unanswerable question. The shame about Tombstone that you can't possibly appreciate, they gave him the tape, everything on the movie, whatever I want to do to reconstruct the movie the movie, what you saw, okay, is that movie. The movie is The Godfather or Western Godfather. That's how different that movie is from the one you saw. And so the person asked, so why didn't you reconstruct it? And he said, because I got a life. Someday I may do it, but I need to go back to the script, back to all my notes. I'd have to find my notes. Um, and then he goes, you know what I found the other day? Because I'm moving stuff. I found the last scene I wrote, the scene between Wyatt and Doc, the hospital scene. So Kurt Russell basically admitting he wrote extra scenes in it. The question is, We've never really seen somebody do this where they just basically go back and be like, let's take one more swing at this. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Would you would you want to watch a movie that were a reconstructed tombstone that they tried to make as the Western Godfather? You know, I was going to ask you this because, you know, there was that period of time where I think that there was a lot more interest around director's cuts and reconstructions like they did the chronological Godfather. There was the Apocalypse Now uh, director's cut. But the home entertainment market is so much different now. Do you think that there would be enough of an interest for something like this? Um, to make money, probably not. I think it's probably a miniseries. I think it's a Netflix eight episode. Something. No, but like, I don't know that they have enough footage for that. You know what I mean? I think that they have enough footage and he might change the music and maybe he would change maybe some of the way that the end is shot because the end is shot in basically like one long montage. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we just saw this most recently and most fascinatingly with The Other Side of the Wind, which is this great lost Orson Welles movie that two editors and two producers and all these people kind of combined on to reconstruct. It had never really been constructed and they had to travel around the world to find film clips and discover shit in Slovenia and in Paris and all these places where the the film footage had had moved. And what, what we got, the end result, I think The Other Side of the Wind is like an amazing document. It's not an amazing movie. And I worry that if you tried to do this, you'd end up with something that like kind of feels like what they wanted, but isn't what they wanted. Yeah. And I like, I like Tombstone's flaws. Like I like me that too. it's kind of messy. Yeah, me too. So there's only one movie I've heard of in the last like 10 years since this all became dialogue that I was like, I want to see that. I still haven't seen it somehow, but when they talked about studio 54, how the studio completely fucked that movie up and cut out like an entire bisexual love story and all that stuff. And it sounded really interesting, and it actually sounded like what the movie should have been. There is a reconstructed version on the Blu-ray that came out, I think, yeah. about a year and a half ago. That I want to see that. I, I, it's on my list. The one that I really want. I thought that should have been a good movie. Yeah. I still feel like the pieces were there for something. I still really wanted to see the the version of All the Pretty Horses that Billy Bob Thornton really wanted to make. And I think that there is like parts of it. I don't know if they have all of it, but it was the one with the Daniel Lanois score that Matt Damon has always talked about. Like If that had ever come out, it would have been the best thing he'd ever worked on. But that would have been really cool to have seen that. Why does this always happen to Westerns too? That's kind of a weird I think they're thing. expensive and tough to manage. I and think that you can easily fall behind on a Western. Like you're out there, like there's fucking horses. Like you're dealing with weather. You're dealing with like the elements and stuff like that. Nobody makes a fast Western either. It always has to be sprawling. It's true. That's why Last of the Mohicans was so interesting when it came out. Because it was like Michael Mann meets MTV. Yeah, meets but that like an Michael old movie, Mann just like, kind of flew. They like- they almost had like a mutiny on that movie. Like he was basically like trudging up mountains in in uh, North Carolina to to shoot that, and people were going losing their minds on it. And Daniel Day Lewis was like, "I'm going to go learn how to make, you know, muskets because that's like my method." It was it was apparently a crazy scene. Yeah, it's a good movie. I love that movie. Yes, yeah. I see. Alive. I see it in your eyes. Stay alive. Right <laughs> around this time of this podcast, uh, you guys start. Just talking Swo- about Michael Mann. over each other and talking about <laughs> Michael a different Mann. Michael Mann movie? Stay alive. Like how lo- how lo- I will find <laughs> you! <laughs> how long before uh, you guys do this over Public Enemies? Will that be happening soon? I didn't like Public Enemies. I didn't like Public Enemies either, but I'm willing to, to revisit it if we keep doing this podcast for like three or four more years. I'm sure by the third Did or you say 30 or 40 more years? Three or four more oh, years, okay. I think. And, and then we go back to, to PE. We go back to Enemies. I've always wanted somebody to love me as much as the girl in that movie loved the Indian guy who got killed and then she just jumped off the mountain. She's like, I'm done. I'm out. 
That's true love right there. So you're saying you don't have that in your life. I'm just like, that was true love. She's Bill, like, Bill's that guy's gone, to, I'm out, I'm jumping. Like his metric for success in romantic relationships <laughs> are, would I go see about a girl from Goodfellas, from yeah. Goodwill Hunting? Yeah. Last money and gets. Would, I, would you jump off of a mountain for me if I was disemboweled no, by a- <laughs> Immediately. She's like, oh, he's dead, I'm out. Yeah, I I don't think that she can see that she's also about to be rescued. Also, though, because it's it, it doesn't matter. We can also, save it for the. But just to be fair, the pinnacle for you is is the laudanum soaked Dana Wheeler Nicholson <laughs> laying about in a bed, no, screaming. Would Dana Wheeler Nicholson let me hang out at the country club? <laughs> no, okay, that's different. And put like a bunch of lobsters on some <laughs> other guy's bill. How long do Gail Stanwyck and Fletch stay together? Oh, they, they've been married like six times, but they've always <laughs> held a candle out for each other. And they have like two or three kids. What a great movie that would be. It would be Gail Stanwyck and Fletch 30 years later and all their kids and they like get back together. At Fletch their mal- lives again. We yeah. should do that movie. I know. You know what happened? The Fletch sequel came out. I went with all my friends who we were so excited. We love Fletch so much. And it was so bad. And good. it kind of like ruined Fletch for years. Yeah. Now Fletch has made a comeback. It was one of those sequels that just kind of just left you with like Fletch this is fantastic. I want to watch. Fletch I love right how now. much like Lakers is in Fletch. Yeah, it's incredible. Fletch is one of those where I really don't know who else could have been Fletch except for maybe Vince Vaughn, maybe hmm. younger Vince Vaughn. Don't give anybody any ideas. I don't. I don't. We don't need well, a Vince Vaughn. Yeah. yeah, just don't know how that happens. All right, who won the movie? Uh, I think you got to say Kurt Russell because not only is he the star and it's one of his best movies. But in the aftermath of this whole thing, he gets to take ownership of making it so good. I, I'm going to respectfully disagree and say Dana Kurt Russell's the reason it got made okay. and finished. Kilmer's the reason we remember it. Okay. It's a tough one. You both made great cases. You know who didn't win the movie? George Cosmatos Jr. <laughs> <laughs> or Kevin Jari. I will say, George Cosmatos' son... Panos Cosmatos is a great director. He made a movie this year called Mandy starring Nicolas Cage. Oh, yeah, that's his son. Son. Crazy. Yes, that's his son. Oh, that's awesome. I yeah. bet it's on my list of things to see. Check that movie out. It is wild. I uh, I think Kurt Russell wins it spiritually for keeping, a lot, keeping it alive, but I think Val Kilmer wins the movie. Okay. I think he's the best one in it. If you know the whole backstory, Kurt Russell wins it. If I'm just watching the movie, Val Kilmer is like, wow, that guy's absolutely I, I agree with that. Okay. All right, so starting 2019, we're bringing the rewatchables back just about every week. We uh, we are not having seasons. We're going to just keep doing them and celebrate some anniversaries and some other things. Chris and I are going to do a couple passion project movies. Black Hat. Oh, I forgot to do a category. We can do it. This category, it's a new category. <laughs> <laughs> wow. We're bringing in the new year. It's called... What would evil Wilford Brimley have done <laughs> if he had been in this movie? What scene? Okay. <laughs> what it really should be is the Dana Wheeler and Nicholson to see. Like, Maddie? Uh, no, hold on. Would it, would it be, um, well, why? And I, I haven't even begun to defile myself. <laughs> Maybe that'll be the end of the podcast category. I'm your Huckleberry. (laughs) I'm kind of getting into Buffalo Bill territory with this now. It's like, Maddie, at the end of that bottle, you know what she's going to find? Heartache. Heartache. 
<laughs> All right, that's it for the Watchables. We'll see you in 2018. Thanks to Voodoo. Remember, don't forget to go check out the special Rewatchables collection on Voodoo, the streaming service you can watch on all your favorite devices, 6,000 titles free, or choose from over 150,000 titles to rent or buy in up to 4K quality from the latest Hollywood blockbusters to independent cinema to the Al Pacino classic cruising. Kyle, you got to watch that one over the break. Okay. All right. Will do. Head over to voodoo.com slash rewatchables to sign up and start watching today. That is vudu.com slash rewatchables.